We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. I'm not a cocky person. I'm just passionate. Final round. Uh, yeah, I'm looking for a new podcast partner immediately. Quarantine and chill. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome in to another episode of the Music City Audible presented by Broadway Sports Media. Check out broadwaysportsmedia.com. Also partnered with 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver and joining me as always is Justin Mello here to talk about the end of the 2020 Tennessee Titans football season. Came to a disappointing close last week to the Baltimore Ravens falling in the wild card round of the playoffs. The road team continues to win this series in the playoffs and we predicted it on this show as sad as it was to see it play out the way we talked about it kind of happened almost exactly as we said with uh, the ravens stuffing derrick henry and slowing the titans offense down how are you doing justin how are you feeling a few days removed from the loss yeah i'm, I'm doing well um I would say I feel the same as I did now. And I know you, you had a question for me, I believe. So why don't, why don't we just get into it? Why don't you ask me the question that you want me to ask and, or that, that, that you want to ask? And I'm going to be honest about it. All right. So this is a point of a bit of contention we've seen around uh, the Titans fans on Twitter and other places out there on the radio and stuff. And that is, do you consider the 2020 season to be a success? Titans obviously made it all the way to the AFC Championship a year before, came back into 2020 with a lot higher expectations than the season before because of that playoff run. But what do you think? Would you classify this season as a success? I'm going to lean towards no. And, and that's a it's a tough one to answer because, look, winning the division for the first time in 12 years um, is obviously a great thing. And I'm sure, you know, they're, they're pretty happy with that. I'm sure ownership is, is satisfied to see them win the AFC South for the first time since 2008. Um, but ultimately, no, because I do feel like the expectations were higher than that. A, let's be honest, it's not a great division. We knew Jacksonville was going to be terrible. Um, I don't think anyone expected, at least I didn't expect Houston to be this bad, but they were this bad. Um, Indianapolis certainly surprised me. I will admit I did not expect them to win 11 games, but I thought the Titans were the favorites for the AFC South heading into the season, the heavy favorites, and they won the division as they should have. But ultimately, I do think a first-round exit um, at home, again, your first home playoff game in 12 years, uh, I think that's a disappointment. Now, and that's not to say, I don't think it's a disappointment because I don't think it's as simple as saying, well, they went further last year. No, I don't think it's that simple because, again, that would insinuate that you know they had to go to the AFC Championship round again or they had to go to the Super Bowl again. That was the only way you can consider it a success. And look, some people may feel that way. Look, technically, it's a failure every time you don't win the Super Bowl, right? Every year there should be, you know, you can say there's 31 teams that aren't satisfied. But ultimately, I do think they at least needed to win one playoff game. Again, it's not as simple for me as saying, well, they had to top last year. They had to go back to the AFC Championship. They had to go back to the Super Bowl or had to go to the Super Bowl, not back. But I, I say no. I think, again, I think you could make a strong case for it being a pretty solid season if they at least won one playoff game. But they failed to do that. So I lean towards no, it's not a success. I disagree. I think that you have to classify this as a successful season. And here's my reasoning why. 
because this team had gone nine and seven, four years in a row. And I do think maybe the schedule had a little bit to play with this heading into the year. The Titans had the second easiest schedule according to Vegas's projected win totals. So not based on records from the previous year, but actually based on expectation. Titans had what Vegas considered to be the second easiest schedule. And you know what? They won 11 games in that schedule. They improved their win total from the, not just last year, but each of the last four years from nine and seven to 11 and five. They won the division, like you said, for the first time in 12 years. I think that's a huge accomplishment. And ultimately, to me, that should be the goal that defines success for a team in any given year. And I know you said it was a weak division, and I also didn't expect Indianapolis to be an 11-win team. But the reality is that team won 11 games and didn't win their division and didn't win a playoff game either. So I would say I think the Titans had higher expectations in the Colts, so they, they should have been better. And they were better. They won that division. That it wasn't necessarily a, a tough division, I guess. You know, it's not the it's not the AFC West, it's not the NFC West. But you know, you got two teams winning double digit games. That's not an easy accomplishment to win the division under those circumstances. I would say it was a, an extremely unsuccessful off season. They're pretty much three good off season moves, which were two of which were re signing players to contracts that were already Titans, Ten, Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry. And the other one was adding Ty Sembrello, which was an underrated good move that without that move, well, I don't know. I guess you just get Questenberry in there sooner. So maybe that wasn't that big of a deal at the end yeah. of the day. But um, the point is, I think the offseason moves raised the expectation level for the team along with last year's success. But those offseason moves not working out ultimately hindered this team in the regular season but I don't know that they ultimately hindered the team in the playoffs. And the reason I think it's a successful season, regardless of what happens in the playoffs is because the playoffs are crazy. The playoffs are single elimination, one weeks, any kind of fluky, anything can happen to shape what happens in the playoffs. And in order to really find postseason success, you need a lot of things to break your way. And some of those things include injuries. And some of those things include the schedule and of course you would love to see the Titans win a home playoff game, their first one in 12 years. But the fact that they made it that far against a team that had a lot of bulletin board material, a lot of things that they needed to prove to themselves, Lamar Jackson hearing all week about how he's can't win a playoff game. And the Ravens have feeling like they were disrespected by the Titans the last time they played and the last two times they played getting really made into a laughingstock on the ground, the way Derrick Henry ran them over. And I don't think the Titans were really prepared to face a team that sh that they should have been. I mean, I'm very disappointed in the way that that game went because I think that the way that Baltimore defended Derrick Henry should have been obviously seen. Like we should have seen that coming. You and I saw that coming. So the the offensive staff should have been able to adapt quicker and and take advantage of the single coverage on the outside and not throw the ball to Khalif Raymond in crunch time when you got A.J. Brown in single coverage on the other side of the field. That, that's a Tannehill issue. <laughs> that's a Tannehill issue for sure. But all those things are true, and the, the disappointing end of the season is true. But I don't think it should take away from what was the best offense we've ever seen in Nashville, a 2,000-yard rusher that wasn't, like, forced. It was like – that's how this team wins games is Derrick Henry does really well. It wasn't like Chris Johnson feeding him on a team. That's not even going to make the playoffs, right? Like this, that right. actually was important to wins there. So all in all, I agree. You'd like to see them go further. Obviously I do agree. Super Bowl or, or bust 
for, for every team. So 31 teams were unsuccessful, but ultimately you got 20 teams in the league that would trade places with Tennessee. They would trade seasons with Tennessee, Absolutely. you know, at, as teams that, that didn't win their division out there. So I think that Mike Vrabel set a goal before the season that we we're going to win the division. We're going to have a home playoff game talking from his perspective. And yes, they had a secondary goal, which was to make the Super Bowl, but they, they achieved goal one and achieving goal one is really all you can hope for in any given year. You know, if Taylor Lewan is healthy, if Jayon Brown is healthy, if Jadeveon Clowney is healthy, who knows what happens in the postseason, right? And the Ravens missed their left tackle too, but all in all, pretty healthy heading into this game. My point is some teams are going to be healthier this time of year and they're going to get the right bounces in the playoffs. And that's what's going to propel them to the Super Bowl unless they have Patrick Mahomes. You know, like if you don't have a generational player like that, then you just have to hope everything else breaks right. And if everything doesn't break right, is it a failure? So that's where I'm coming from when I say I do think it was a successful season. But I'll I got, let you do a quick rebuttal and then we can move on. Yeah, I got two quick counterpoints for you. For me, just, you know, getting over the nine and seven hump, while that's certainly nice in theory, the reason I don't really consider that a success is that, let's be honest, they were better than nine and seven last year. They just didn't start Ryan Tannehill from the jump. Right. They were in a two and four hole when Ryan Tannehill came in, and that's why they were nine and seven. That's so to true. me, getting over that nine and seven hump, it, it doesn't really do anything for me because they, they, they should have done it. And they were better than nine and seven the year before. I, I get a lot of what you're saying. It just feels a little participation trophy ish to me. I'm not saying they're a disaster. I'm not saying 20 other teams wouldn't trade places with them. I still think they're headed in the right direction. I still think the offense. Uh, was terrific this year. There's no denying it did ultimately, it did ultimately uh, they were the unit that cost them in the playoffs. And it's funny how that works. And like you said, it's one game elimination, right? We spent all year complaining about the defense, bitching about the defense. And yet uh, it was the offense that uh, cost them in the playoffs. It's funny how that works. But like you said, it's single elimination. But for me, a a lot of these quote unquote successes outside of winning the division uh, just feels a little participation trophy ish to me. And that's why I ultimately deem it a failure. Well, I will say that winning the division is the the key thing for me here. If, If they lost somehow in that final game to Houston or, or two weeks earlier or whatever, if they had, limped into the playoffs as a 10 and six needing Miami to lose to Buffalo kind of situation to get in, then that is definitely a different vibe for me coming into this the record right today, because I, I definitely think the fact that they were able to do all the things they needed to do to position themselves for a home playoff game is why I consider it a success more so even than, than getting over the nine and seven hump. But anyway, let's move on because the off season is officially here and I know this is your favorite time of year, Justin, because it's draft season, baby. So let's talk quickly, a very, very brief off-season preview, since we have a lot of time to talk about what's going to happen in the coming months. I just want to get from you the number one item on your off-season wish list for the Tennessee Titans. That can be on the coaching staff. It can be a player acquisition or a positional acquisition. Whatever you think has to be addressed more top line than anything else this off-season. Go. I mean, who are we kidding? Uh, number one and two are probably both the same. It's got to be edge rushers, 
rushers, <laughs> plural, because they don't need one. They need at least two. So for me, that's number one on the list. Like there are a lot of things that are important this offseason. They have to figure out what's going to happen with the number two receiver. If Corey Davis, whether he's back or he's gone, right. They have to address that. Um, they've got to address, you know, there's, there's Jayon Brown and, and there's, and there's coaching decisions, right? looks like Art Smith is going to take a head coaching job somewhere. It feels that way as of now. Uh, they're showing interest in defensive coordinators. I think that's a huge step. That's another thing that has to be addressed, right? There, there's a good chance this team goes into next season with a new offensive coordinator and a new defensive coordinator. So those are huge things on the list as well. But for me, nothing is more important than edge rushers, getting multiple of them, guys that can impact the quarterback. It is the most important position on defense, hands down. And they don't have, they got one guy who's pretty good at it, but let's be honest, didn't have a great year. The sack numbers are disappointing. Yes, the win rate was pretty good for Harold Landry, but he just wasn't getting home uh, and wasn't finishing at the rate he's expected to or that you need your number one edge rusher to do so. So uh, they got to go out and get edge rushers. They got to get multiple of them in free agency and the num- and the first round pick in the draft. I totally agree that edge rushers got to be high on the list, but for me, even higher is something you touched on there briefly, but that's the defensive coordinator position, they have got to get somebody who knows what the heck, or at least has an idea of what the heck he is doing on the defensive side of the ball, because Shane Bowen and Vrabel kind of alluded to this in his post season press conference, zoom, zoom call, whatever with Titans media. He said that, you know, Shane Bowen led the meetings and called the plays and everybody out there wants to obsess over the title of defensive coordinator, but just know that like Shane was, was our guy pretty much. I mean, he didn't say that word for word, but it was pretty much that Shane Bowen was the defensive coordinator last year without the title. And in hindsight, I actually don't hate not giving Shane Bowen that title because let's say you did do give Shane Bowen the defense coordinator title. Right. And then all season Titans fans are just ripping Shane Bowen for the defense being so bad because he's a defensive coordinator. And then you're faced right now at this point in the year where you're like, Shane Bowen, we're moving another direction at defensive coordinator. And just out of like the optics of the way the business of football works, you can't keep Shane Bowen at that point. You got to let him go because you're bringing in a new defensive coordinator. With this method that they're going with now, Shane Bowen was an outside linebackers coach who had a little bit more responsibility than he probably should have last year. Maybe a lot more responsibility than he probably should have last year. And the fact that they, we'll get to this in a second, have announced already or they didn't announce it, but we got a report out there that the Titans are, have started interviewing defensive coordinator candidates, at least one we'll talk about in a minute. And that's really promising to me from the standpoint that Mike Vrabel knows his, his defense was horrible and it was a coaching issue in addition to whatever personnel. Obviously, you mentioned they need edge rushers, they need a linebacker, they need a lot of stuff on the defensive side of the ball. But number one to me is that coordinator position. Yeah, for me, and I go back and forth. I understand why you would feel that way, and I'm not going to say you're wrong. Uh, I think the ultimate thing for me, and and maybe partially it's because I'm a draft guy, and, and I love watching edge rushers, probably my favorite position uh, to scout. But for me, I, I don't think it really matters who the defensive coordinator would have been this year in the sense that they're not going to turn, you know, Brooks Reed into an elite pass rusher. They weren't going to turn Tazar Skipper into an elite pass rusher. They weren't going to turn Wyatt Ray into an elite pass rusher. And so we're going to make Vic Beasley give a shit, 
right, to rush the passer <laughs> when he comes in. They weren't going to keep Jadavion Clowney healthy, yada, yada. So for me, uh, I think, and again, I, I believe that the edge rusher is the most important position on the defense. So that's why I currently rank it uh, number one, just a little bit more important than getting the right defensive coordinator here. Because if you go out and you get great edge rushers, I think they're, you know, it's very often a one-on-one game, right? Can he win his matchup? Can he beat the tackle one-on-one? And if they can't do that, then it doesn't matter what defensive coordinator you have. Your defense is going to struggle. And as we saw last year, if you only have one guy who can do that, which I think Titans fans would be pretty surprised to see Harold Landry come in at, I think it was eighth, maybe seventh or eighth overall of all edge rushers in the NFL in pass rush win rate, which is ESPN's next gen or whatever stat that measures um, how many times a percentage of plays that a a pass rusher beats their man one-on-one. I think it's in under two and a half seconds or something, or there's, there's stipulations for it. It's not necessarily about finishing the sack. It's just about beating the guy across from them. Harold Landry did at 22 or so percent of snaps last year, which was like I said, seventh or eighth best in the NFL. And yet the Titans had 19 sacks, the fewest by a playoff team in NFL history tied for in NFL history. So yeah, you need more than one guy and you need maybe, like you said, two guys, maybe three guys, maybe you need an interior guy as well to help push the pocket and help Jeffrey Simmons take some pressure off of him. But anyway, I agree. Ed Rusher is a huge, huge priority for this team this offseason. And we, over the course of the next few weeks, we'll talk about free agents and draft prospects that we like for this position that could come in and help this Tennessee team. We're not going to get into that stuff today. Instead, we're going to pivot now and talk about the Titans coordinator search because you teased both of these things already, that Art Smith looks to be on his way out and Mike Vrabel appears to be on the hunt for a defensive coordinator. And what's most promising about the reports we've got on Thursday, we're recording this on Thursday evening. So earlier today, we heard that the Titans had requested to interview Clemson offensive coordinator, Tony Elliott. And Mike Herndon put a great article up on Broadway Sports Media about this. And he made some great points in it that I want to address Number one being that it shows that Mike Vrabel is not afraid to a reach into a place where he doesn't, maybe doesn't have a personal connection. B look for somebody that doesn't necessarily run the McVay Shanahan West coast offense. He's Elliot's more known for the power spread at Clemson and C that they may not necessarily look to promote from within. So Tony Elliott declined. He said he's going to stay at Clemson. The Titans weren't the only team asking him to come interview for an offensive coordinator job. He's going to stay at Clemson, so he's he's at, he's not in the running for the Titans position, but it's just an indication of what maybe the coaching staff and John Robinson are feeling inside the building. What are your thoughts there on this report about Tony Elliott? Yeah, I agree with you. I don't know that I have a lot more to add, but I think the biggest thing here is that they're, they're, they're going to cast a wide net. And again, this is all under the assumption that Arthur Smith lands one of these head coaching jobs. It certainly is looking that way, but until it's official, uh, it's all sort of speculation. But I, I do think the biggest news nugget to address here is that they're, they're going to cast a wide net. I think it would be really easy for them to promote from within. And don't get me wrong, I think promoting from within would be a great idea in this, in this situation, in the scenario that they're in. You've got a great offense. You certainly do not want to uproot the system and make drastic changes, not when you're going out there scoring 30, 35 points a game, on a, which felt like was occurring on a weekly basis. But I do like to hear 
that um, that that Vrabel's not kind of boxing himself in uh, to one area. And, and Tony Elliott, like you said, he does not run that offense, right? He does not run the Matt Lafleur, uh, Sean McVay, Shanahan sort of offense that they've run. You know that whole West Coast uh, outside zone that they run. So very interesting to me that they're looking outside that. And Mike, Mike in his article, you've already brought up the article, but I think he brought up a good point when he said that um, you'd have to think if they were to bring Tony Elliott in, and that they're not going to. They, he's already rejected their request. But if they were to bring someone like that in, they would more likely be marrying the concepts, right? What can we? What can you add? to our offense uh, based on what you do best and instead of up, you know, uprooting the system and changing it completely. What sort of things can you add? How can we marry uh, these two systems and these two philosophies together? And I think that's very encouraging to see, as you mentioned, that Mike Vrabel is, is really interested in, in getting creative and thinking outside the box. And that's kind of the reality of the NFL is if your offense doesn't continue to grow and evolve, then defenses will catch up and they will be able to stop you. And I'm not saying that Art Smith isn't growing and evolving, but obviously the Ravens had something figured out last weekend when they, when they slowed the Titans off offense down and held them to their lowest point total of the season with only 13 points. So I'm not saying that if, you know, Keith Carter or whoever is promoted and, and continues to run the same system that it won't work. But like you said, it's nice that Vrabel looks at getting creative and this isn't the first time he's reached into the college ranks for a power spread offensive coordinator if you, all, if you all remember, in 2018, before Matt LaFleur was hired, Mike Vrabel, actually, the report was that he had offered the job to Ohio State coach Ryan Day. This was when Urban Meyer was still at Ohio State, and Ryan Day took decided to stay at Ohio State, obviously, with an eye to the future, seeing that he had a head coach possibility not too far away, and obviously that came into fruition almost right away. I think maybe even that season might have been his first season as the, as the head coach of Ohio State. So... It's interesting. Obviously, Urban Meyer now reportedly taking the job in Jacksonville. I think it's officially official. So it's we'll official. see how that goes. Yeah, <laughs> see how that goes for Jacksonville when uh, Urban Meyer doesn't like to lose. But I'm getting off on a tangent here. So let's turn this back to the coordinator search. We don't know if Art Smith is leaving at this point, but he's had multiple interviews at multiple stops. He's the reported front runner for the Atlanta Falcons job at this point. And another point that Mike made in his article is. You don't often hear about a team reaching out, trying to interview candidates or feel out a candidacy by a particular person if they aren't pretty sure the guy they have is going to move on. So I think it will be up to Art Smith. If Art Smith doesn't come back to Tennessee, I don't think it's because he didn't get an offer. It'll be because he turned somebody down as opposed to just like not being good enough this time around. Do you agree? You know, necessarily. Probably, but I don't know that I can say it with 100% certainty. I, I think coaching hires, we, we've seen it before. They can get weird sometimes, man. I mean, you know, Jim Caldwell has been interviewed. Marvin Lewis has been interviewed. Um, I, what's, is it Dan Campbell, the assistant, assistant yeah. coach in New Orleans, has been interviewed. So there, there are just, I think, so many possibilities there still. Yes, we all expect Art Smith to get hired. We expect maybe Joe Brady to get hired, but you always feel like there's one or two surprising hires that ultimately prevents one of the guys we thought was a shoe in from getting a job. So I think you're right. It's more than likely he's going to get an offer and it's more than likely that he's going to take one of those offers, but I can't say for sure that uh, if he doesn't take one, it's because he wasn't offered. Who knows? Jim Caldwell might end up getting a job. Marvin Lewis might end up getting a job. There's still some surprises that I think we're uh, that are, that are out there. 
Yeah, and Eric B. Enemy appears to be a hot candidate who's who's been in the cycle multiple times and still hasn't gotten hired. You got Robert Sala, who appears to be the top guy, according to people out there. Brian Dable. Brian Dable, of course. He got, somebody's interviewing someone's wide receivers coach. I didn't even see the name, right. of who, but it was, wasn't really someone I'm familiar with. So, yeah, like you said, there could be an off-the-wall hire out of nowhere. That Matt, Matt that, Eberfluss, right, defensive coordinator for the Colts. He's another one who, who can still potentially get a job. Uh, the Rams defensive coordinator, Brandon Staley, he's another yeah. one who's still getting interest. So there, there's so many candidates out there. Yes, Art certainly looks like one of the more popular ones, but there are so many candidates out there that I think uh, anyone would be a fool to say anything with certainty, right? now yeah and there's still six openings obviously there were seven but urban meyer has taken the jacksonville job so and and a another name sorry not to not to cut you off but another name that i think is going to get a job um is new right is doug peterson i i still think doug peterson's going to get a head coaching job somewhere else immediately Mm -hmm. and if he doesn't you know what not a bad name uh to consider for offensive coordinator here in tennessee um let's flip over to the other side of the ball because we have jerry dulac I hope I'm saying that right. Jerry Dulock covers the Steelers for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette has reported that the Titans are interviewing Terrell Austin or interviewed Terrell Austin on Thursday for the defensive coordinator position. Terrell Austin, most recently the senior defensive assistant and secondary coach for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's also spent time as Florida's defensive coordinator. He worked with Dean Pease as a secondary coach in Baltimore, so there's familiarity there. And he also has been a defensive coordinator, two other stops in the NFL, with the Lions for four seasons and with one season with the Bengals. His track record of success is not necessarily successful. He uh, he's had some. He had one top five defensive unit. His first year as an NFL defensive coordinator back in 2014. And then he's been pretty much terrible as a DC since then, looking through his uh, just where his defense ranked in yards and points. 2014, second in yards, third in points. 2015, 18th in yards, 23rd in points. It doesn't get better from there. 2016, 18th in yards. 2017, 27th in yards. And in 2018, Cincinnati, this is a word for word sentence from. The guy's own Wikipedia page. On January 11th, 2018, it was announced that Austin had been hired as a defensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals. On November 12th, 2018, Austin was relieved of his duties as defensive coordinator after the Bengals defense became the first in NFL history to give up 500 yards in three straight games. So uh, not great there, I would say, but you know what? You got Mike Brable's oversight. Mike Brable just helped oversee one of the worst defenses in Tennessee Titans history. So maybe these guys would fit in great together. Your thoughts? <laughs> Look, number one for me, my, my first reaction when, when I read this news that they were interviewing Terrell Austin um, for the defensive coordinator position. And I think everybody probably had a similar reaction. It isn't, there was no focus on the candidate whatsoever. It was more that, hey, Mike Vrabel is willing to admit that maybe not hiring a defensive coordinator was a mistake. I think that's the biggest thing here because there was no reason for us to think that he was going to for sure go out and hire a defensive coordinator this offseason. Look, obviously, we know if Arthur Smith is gone, they're going to hire an offensive coordinator. We didn't have that certainty at the defensive coordinator position. He said multiple times throughout the season that he didn't think their issues on defense had anything to do with not having a defensive coordinator. So there, there was no reason for us to say, okay, they're definitely going to hire a defensive coordinator. So that, to me, was the biggest thing. <gasps> 
that little gasp. Oh my God, they're actually admitting their mistake. There looks like they're going to hire a defensive coordinator. Then from there, we get to the candidate, Terrell Austin. Look, you mentioned it. Mike Herndon wrote a great article on broadwaysportsmedia.com um, on, the, on their interviewing Austin. Uh, he checks two boxes, right? In terms of, you know, coaches love to hire guys they know. Right. Austin was uh, funny enough, Urban Myers, defensive coordinator in Florida uh, in 2010. And then he coached under Dean Pease, right, for the Ravens from 2011 to 2013. So while, while Mike Vrabel hasn't worked with Austin directly, um, he, he, he's, he's got relationships with people that have worked with Austin. It, it takes nothing for Vrabel to call up Dean Pease and ask him what he thinks about Terrell Austin. Urban Myers, he picking up the phone. Who knows? They're division rivals now. But uh, <laughs> all kidding aside, you know, for sure, he can get Urban Myers' opinion on Terrell Austin as a coach. So this is interesting to me. I imagine it's not going to be the last candidate they interview. Uh, I'd be very surprised if they just hire him and, and that's the end. They, they interviewed one guy and they hired him immediately. But again, and this is, you know, while the candidate is maybe not that encouraging, you, you may not get that excited when you hear and see the name. And, and I kind of get that. I think the biggest takeaway here is that they are interested in hiring a defensive coordinator, period. Yes. And someone not named Shane Bowen, I think right. is the other, uh, I, I kind of tore into Shane Bowen a little bit earlier on this pod, but yes, the fact that it's an outside candidate who can maybe come in and bring a fresh perspective, maybe that's what they're looking for. Or maybe they're just looking for somebody to be a defensive coordinator. Cause like you said, they didn't have one. And that's maybe a, a big mistake that they're realizing or realized who knows when they realize that, who knows if they, if they have or not, who knows anything. All I know is that the fact that Shane Bowen is likely not going to be a defensive coordinator is great news for Titans fans. Nothing against Shane Bowen. I'm sure he's a fine guy, but I'll never forgive the liar for telling us in the offseason that Harold Landry needed to play less snaps and he goes out and not only doesn't play less snaps this year, percentage-wise, he played way more. So what the heck, man? Go coach the outside linebackers and worry about the rotation there and keep your guys fresh. And we'll get bringing a new defensive coordinator hey, to actually coordinate. It's in Shane Bowen's defense. Can you imagine if Harold Landry played less snaps? Who, <laughs> who would be rushing the quarterback? You're gonna you have full full on reps out there of Tazar Skipper and Wyatt Ray as the only outside linebackers on the field, right? I mean, and they needed Harold Landry to play all the snaps on defense. They didn't have anybody did. else. They didn't have anybody they did. else. And they also needed him to drop into coverage and, and cover guys like Jarvis Landry and other right. slot receivers because who else right. is going to do it? Now, uh, something about Terrell Austin that's interesting, as a secondary coach, he's been great as a secondary coach. He's he's coached guys like Darius Slay to Pro Bowl seasons. Darius Slay led the NFL in interceptions, I think, the year that Austin was his defensive coordinator. He's helped Minka Fitzpatrick out a lot in um, in – getting into Pittsburgh and getting into that scheme quickly and being able to use him right away after they traded for him midseason last year. And Fitzpatrick's been an all pro back-to-back years now under the secondary coaching of Terrell Austin. And one other weird, interesting familiarity is Titans fans may recognize the name because Titans actually interviewed Terrell Austin back in 2016 before Mike Malarkey was officially the head coach. And I believe John Robinson would have been involved in that process, uh, even though Mike Malarkey may or may not have been officially or unofficially already going to be the head coach by the time Robinson got hired. But there's definitely familiarity all across the board with Terrell Austin. And I wouldn't hate the idea of, of poaching this guy to come coach the secondary if he doesn't end up with the actual DC job, because I don't know what happened to Kevin Byard this year. And I don't know why, you know, you had guys like 
that were just, I mean, Jonathan Joseph was so bad early in the year. And I don't know if it's coaching or if it's not coaching or if it's just the whole coordinating thing or what. Probably age when it comes to Jonathan Joseph. Joseph, maybe. But all I know is that Anthony Midget and and Jim Hazlitt were two guys that Vrabel hired. Mostly it felt like because he knew them. And their two positions were some of the weakest or at least the biggest regression from players that we thought were good this season. So it'll be interesting to see if a defensive coordinator wants to have his, any say in his own staff, or if they want to bring somebody in, that's just going to have to keep all the position coaches as is, because, you know, it's really Mike Vrabel's staff and Mike Vrabel's a defensive guy. So those are all kinds of questions that I'm really interested to see how they unfold over the coming weeks. And like you said, they will undoubtedly interview more guys before making a, an announcement, a hiring announcement, but I'm not sure we'll hear about them because I don't think the team is going to leak out these, these, reports you know these reports are coming from this report came from a pittsburgh guy who who covers the steelers and has connections in the steelers building and would have heard right. that we might that from a steelers perspective we might lose terrell austin because he's going to interview for a dc job but i don't know that we're necessarily going to hear about every interview that comes out uh when it comes to the mike Vrabel, john robinson titans who are very very tight-lipped about these things uh, another quick point I'm going to make on on Terrell Austin, not 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 off topic, but another quick point I want to make because I did talk uh, to my buddy John Ledyard, who I'm sure um, you know a lot of our listeners are familiar with. He is a Steelers, uh, he's a Steelers fan, so he knows them really well. Kind of kind of exchanged some messages with him about Terrell Austin, uh, and he did say, you know, of course it's difficult to to measure the impact of a positional coach. Uh, sometimes, but on the surface, guys like Terrell Edmonds, uh, Cam Sutton, and Steven Nelson, he felt that they've had their best years uh, as professionals under uh, Terrell Austin. On the flip side, a guy like Justin Lane, uh, you know, a corner they drafted, I believe in the second or third round it was recently, uh, has not um, uh, has not gotten better at all. Uh, and Mika Fitzpatrick is a star, right? So he, he seems like he's done some really good work. Uh, there as the secondary coach. I also talked to Alex Kazara, uh, a buddy of mine who we've actually had on this show recently, right? Guy over, uh, writer over at Steelers Depot is a great writer and really knows that Steelers team uh, inside out. Talked to him about, about Austin. He said, yeah, you know, the, the, the situation in Cincinnati defensive coordinator, it didn't go well, but it did seem like he was a really good DB coach here in Pittsburgh. Uh, Alex has had, you know, the opportunity um, to attend practices and, and watch the Steelers in person as part of his coverage. And he did notice that they did more circuit drills in camp uh, under Austin than they ever did in the past. And he didn't think it was a coincidence that the takeaway numbers uh, exploded for Pittsburgh in the two years that Austin was here. So that, that is really encouraging to hear, right? He, that that uh, someone who's watched him coach feels like he had a huge impact, a, a positive impact on their turnover numbers. And to me, there's definitely a concern that this guy is like the perfect secondary coach and elevating him to defensive coordinator is maybe a bit above where he would excel most at, but obviously that is all to be determined. Well, I think that'll cover it tonight for our coordinator talk. We're going to have so much draft coverage coming to you guys over the next few weeks, going position by position, Titans needs, and just overall draft prospects because we have a resident expert on this pod. How How many prospects have you watched right now? It's January 14th. How many prospects have you watched? Well, watched in depthly. Um, if I had to put a number on guys that I'm, I'm very comfortable with, my current evaluation, uh, I'd say I'm at about 80 right now. Um, I've watched more than that, but again, some you know some guys 
maybe I've only watched one or two games. If I had to put a number on how many I'm comfortable with guys where I've watched, you know, anywhere from three to six games, full games as a pro, whether that, you know, all that's, and a lot of that is a coach's film, all 22. Um, I'm at, I'm about 80 deep right now. And I will get to a minimum 200 is the minimum uh, that I will reach uh, by the time the draft rolls around. So we may or may not talk about all 200 of those guys on this podcast, (laughs) but you're definitely going to want to tune in and find out. That will do it for this episode of the Music City Audible. Thank you guys for tuning in. Be sure to check out broadwaysportsmedia.com. If we haven't said it enough, we got Mike Herndon writing terrific articles over there. You and I are writing stuff all the time as well. Constant Titans content. We're also covering Nashville SC and the Predators season is just getting started. So make sure you're checking out all of our content there. Follow Justin on Twitter at Justin M underscore NFL. Justin's going to be tweeting out all kinds of draft content from interviews with prospects to connections with what teams are meeting with what players. We're going to get a tracker going on Broadway sports for that as well. So make sure you guys are following all of our coverage. If you're into the draft, if you're into the offseason, we're going to have it so covered. You, It'll be like you're under a blanket of, of our coverage i've said the word coverage hey last year i I don't i hate i don't want to do my own horn but i hope you know last year we weren't doing this show we were doing another show but if you followed us uh here to mca and you've been longtime listeners of the justin and justin show i i had called the darrington evans pick right on our last podcast i called the laurel murchison pick on the last podcast had a lot of christian fulton uh info uh, i i think i was the first person to break that they had met with fulton uh, at all after i had a chance to interview fulton um and, and isaiah wilson as well we had an isaiah wilson interview as well so i don't know if the hit rate will be this good this time around because i kind of knocked it out the park last year but those are I'm, I'm proud of that laurel murchison one i called that one didn't oh I? yeah I think our hit rate will be better this time because (laughs) we get better. That's what we do. Improvement. You can't get, can't stand still. You'll get stuck. Cobra Kai. Anyway, one last thing. If you guys love Christian Fulton, Justin and I did a tape session with him. It's on Broadway Sports Media's YouTube channel. Go check that out. Can't promise we're going to do that this year, but if we get the chance to sit down with some prospects and break down some tape, believe me, we will. And we will let you guys know about it. All that stuff will be on Broadway's YouTube channel. Anyway, that'll do it. You can follow me at Titans Film Room. You can follow the show at MCA Broadway on Twitter. Check out broadwaysportsmedia.com. Check out the shop. Check out the premium memberships. And wait until next week when we're wait, back with more. Are yeah, they but- are they allowed to follow me or are they only allowed to follow you? Oh, yo, I, che- I, I threw you out first. Remember, I, I talked about all the stuff you tweet out. Oh, shit, I didn't even hear it. I'm playing. <laughs> yeah, I, got I didn't you, even bro. hear it. I, no, I got you. But in case you <laughs> missed it, at Justin M underscore NFL. There it is. Follow everyone. Follow us all. Follow Broadway. Broadway is where we're at. That's what we do. Alrighty, I'm going to stop talking because I don't know what I'm saying. Anyway, you guys stay safe out there. Tighten up. A Broadway sports media production.